Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Let's, uh, let's talk through a, a few things. I want to take a little bit of a break from Acts. We'll get back into that next week. I want to talk to you about engaging in good deeds. Engaging in good deeds. In Titus chapter 3, verses 8 through 14, go ahead and turn there. I won't get there for a little bit, but just turn there. We're going to take a, a real brief overview of the book of Titus and uh, kind of land on what does it mean to engage in good deeds? And what do, we, what do we think about that? How do we recognize what God's saying through Paul uh, as he wrote to Titus about this? Um, what do we mean when we say engage? Because we've, we've kind of put out there a little bit of a, a statement in terms of Hoffmantown, Christ-led, right? Elder-guarded, pastor-guided, and body-engaged. What does that mean? Right? What does that mean? When we all come together and we have a time to celebrate like today and we have the opportunity to celebrate the Lord and, and we lift up his name, what does it mean to be engaged in good works? That we need to learn to engage in good works, to meet pressing needs, as Paul wrote to Titus. I don't know if you remember this or not, but um, about four years ago, it was early 2012, we had a, had a beginning of the year kind of moment, and uh, it was the beginning of my senior pastorate service here, and so we started out that year, and one of the things we did, we had a time of prayer uh, at the end of the service, and we asked God for a new story. Do you remember that? I, I think, and I'm, I'm not trying to exaggerate, no pastors can exaggerate numbers really easily, but I think there's about 400 people up here. And we said, Lord, would you give us a new story? We need a new story. We want it to be based in you. We want you to lead us. We want you to guide us and direct us. Would you give us a new story? I want to tell you something. It's been amazing to watch. It's been amazing to watch. Let me just share with you a few thoughts. Since that point, you talk about change and shifting and We've had 30, at least, 30 different changes from elders to pastors or ministry leads on staff. At least 30. Some of those are just fit moments. Where do you best fit? You know, some of those are individuals that we had to part company with. Some of those are the people that uh, decided they didn't need to be here anymore for whatever reasons. 30. You talk about huddling down behind a shield. It's been amazing to watch. I want to give you a few thoughts on this because I want to encourage you. God's doing a tremendous work. And I sense the Lord working in this congregation in ways that it's amazing now. I have a unique perspective in it. And I get to see a lot of things, and sometimes people don't get to see the things I get to see, and uh, sometimes people evaluate things differently than what I think biblically we ought to evaluate them like. We tend to like to focus in on things we can measure rather than focusing on, in on the root, root the, the health issues, the life But be that as it may, I I started writing some of this stuff out, praying through this, and 
The first thing from that new story perspective is reconciliation. There's been a lot of that, which I'm thankful for. There was a need for healing, healing. A lot of people were hurt. Some still are, folks. I understand that. Building relationships. Well, on staff, there's just been a lot of focus on that. Establishing trust. Right? Not trust in one another so much so as trust in the Lord that God is leading. He's sovereign. He will guide. He is the shepherd. That regardless of what we can measure, regardless of the pressures, that there's a time to look to the Lord and there's a time to recognize faithfulness and relationship with the Lord first and foremost and to build that relationship with one another. So there, there was a time of reconciliation, a time of building that trust through honesty, through clarity, through affirmation, and seeking the Lord's direction. What does God have for us? What is it that he's leading us to? And not getting so ahead of ourselves that the cause becomes everything, but rather that the relationships on the way are valued. We've revamped and updated processes, meetings, job descriptions, needs. I mean, I I can't even tell you the amount of work that's gone into this. We literally have rewritten every job description for pastors and pretty much across the board in terms of the entire staff. We've done all kinds of things in terms of meetings and why are we meeting and what is this meeting about and how do we need to begin to build that community, build that relationship within the staff in order to make sure we're on the same page. For a period of almost four years, elders literally almost met every week to come together to pray and to walk through what is it that God's doing, what is God saying, uh, how can we encourage one another, how can we make sure that the word is our focus. There's a time of reaffirming standards that are in alignment with the word when it comes to activity or expectation and participation, right? Some people have taken that a little bit, well, you're being legalistic. Well, I sure hope not. That's not been the heartbeat of it. I think uh, we need standards. We need a recognition of what does God say in his word and where is he leading us and how does he want us to follow him. There's a right way and a wrong way. And so for our leaders, there's just kind of a uh, reaffirming of those standards And one of those is just having unity within the elders, making sure we're in unity, making sure that if there's something that uh, is of significance that we don't agree on, that we need to lay that aside and pray about it and walk through it and trust the Lord with the timing of it. And I get it, some people, including me, have been frustrated perhaps about some of the speeds. But, you know, uh, church takes a little bit longer than maybe other arenas because we're in relationship with one another. We're the body of Christ. And so we want to value that. And we want to be in agreement about the things that God is leading us to and where we're headed and what God's doing, what he's saying. We want to make sure that we hear from the Lord clearly on those things. Clarifying roles for staff, lay leaders, right? Connecting all our ministry areas to work together in a concerted effort to build up the body of Christ. We're not siloed. You know, we don't ministry-wise do what we do just for that ministry. We do what we do because we're following the Lord who's the head in order to help build up the whole body. So we got to network. we got to coordinate. we got to work together, which takes time. It takes relationship. It takes understanding 
of what is it that we're about? Why are we doing what we're doing? And I think there's, in the midst of all this, been a refocusing on the biblical mandate of making disciples. Some people, and I'm going to read you a quote in a little bit, but some people talk about how we need to have new strategies. Well, I get that. I mean, I understand the heartbeat behind that. I'm not trying to play semantics. But the truth of the matter is I think we have the strategies, right? We know what God's called us to. And so the reality of it is if we've gotten offline, if we need to recalibrate, if God is calling us back to some very basic things, we've got to make sure that we get back into the Word of God and we've got to make sure that we're following Him and what He wants us to be about. And I think primarily, fundamentally, that's discipleship, which involves evangelism. And it involves equipping It involves the deepening of the body in their walk with the Lord and the relationship that we have with Christ and learning to know who the Lord is, what he said about me, what my identity is in Christ, not because of my works, but rather because of what God has said. And as a result, what does it mean then to follow him? Because if I'm truly yielded to him, God's at work all around us. The question is, am I discerning what it is that's from the Lord versus what's of my flesh? And so making disciples has, has all of that uh, in, in a very balanced way as part of it. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, he makes that very clear, right? And he, and he tells us that he's with us. Even to the end of the age, we can depend upon him. We can walk with him. We can trust him to to lead us and to guide us. We don't have to worry about trying to produce the fruit. What we need to be concerned about is, are we abiding? And if we're truly abiding, what happens? God in us begins to transform us and then through us begins to produce fruit. So in the midst of, of looking at all those different things and refocusing on the biblical mandate, there's been kind of a discussion about vision and and the implementation of that. We talk about to know Christ, to follow him as kind of the banner. We talk about cultivating a healthy biblical community. And that can only happen when the word of God is front and center in everything that we do. We talk about equipping believers. And not just equipping believers so that we have more head knowledge, but equipping in the true sense, which is that believers would be transformed so that God would begin to lead us in fulfilling the Great Commission. That's, that's what a church is to be about. And so sometimes the new strategy moment comes in, and it's really not a new strategy. It's recalibrating if we've gotten off track to get back to the reality of the presence of Christ as the head of the church, that he is the Lord, and that we, as the people of God, need to make sure that we are in correct alignment with him. And are we following him? Are we growing in Christ? So all those things, all those discussions, raising the bar of biblical truth, raising the bar of biblical truth, because the word of God is the only thing that changes anything. So whether it's from here, whether it's in ministry areas, whether it's to our children, whether it's in our K groups, whether it's in D groups on Wednesday nights, doesn't matter. It's raising the bar. Are we growing in Christ, teachers? So that as we teach, we're sharing with others what God is teaching us. Because it's not just passing along information. It's actually being transformed by the Lord. 
And so then there's a passion in it. There's an excitement in it because, ah, oh, look what God has said. And I can't wait to tell you about it. <laughs> we've, we've had all kinds of stuff, and, and some of it has been new areas of ministry. We started a, a new children's day camp, thankful for Eric Brewer and his coming alongside and uh, the efforts that he's put into this as our children's pastor, family pastor. Started a children's choir now. Treasure Trust Club. Love it. You don't know the story of Treasure Trust Club. Long story. I'll get to the point. Treasure Trust Club, I was in Arizona. And uh, Jonathan was, wow, he's only about six, seven years old at the time, I think. And so he and I were kind of brainstorming. I was trying to include him in these things because the church God called us to in Arizona, I literally recognized, forgive me, but I recognized the first visitors to our church because they didn't have white hair. I promise that's the truth. It was kind of a group like this, and I was scanning, and I went, Whoosh, right? And I went, oh, I don't know them. <laughs> and it was. It was because of their hair color. Sorry. I mean, that's just the way it was. Jonathan and Holland were two of the three children in the entire church. It was amazing. And so I wanted to include Jonathan in a lot of the discussions about what God was doing in the church. And one of those discussions is, hey, Jonathan, let's, let's think about what God would have us to do. We know we need to teach the word. We know we want to make sure that kids hear the word of God. So what, what could we do to invite kids in and be a part of something where they're learning the word of God, where, the, yes, they have fun, but primarily the focus is going to be on the word. And then as a result, then they're learning and growing, and we come alongside of families and all that kind of stuff. And we were looking at some of the verses in Timothy, and one of them says, guard the treasure. Through the Holy Spirit, right? Speaking of the word of God. And I was looking at that verse and I'm talking out loud. And Jonathan's laying on the floor because that's what he, he would do all the time. He'd lay on the floor. It was a tile floor. So as a seven-year-old, he'd always be spinning around on the floor, you know. It was a great mop moment, you know. He just cleaned the floor for us. And all of a sudden, he pipes up. And at that point, his voice hadn't changed. So he was a little bit higher. And he goes, what about Treasure Trust Club? And I went. Wow, that was kind of cool. So when Darlene and Eric came to me and we walked through the whole situation in terms of children's ministry, where we were at with the Awana program, uh, many of the kids were not our own kids. They were church kids from other churches that were coming here. We had many uh, leaders actually helping in Awana that were not our leaders. They were not our church members. And we started walking through all these things, okay? They began to share what they wanted to do. They began to share what it is that God would do in terms of the kids on Wednesday nights. And they had put together a plan to teach the kids the word. We still want them memorizing scripture, all that kind of stuff. And they said, the only problem is we don't have a name for it. <laughs> I said, I think Jonathan came up with something pretty cool. How about Treasure Trust Club? They both stopped and froze. Do you know that the first book that they had for those kids last year when we started this, the very, I believe that if I'm not, Eric's, the very first verse that they began to study was guard the treasure through the Holy Spirit. And we didn't plan that, folks. How can you plan that? It's unbelievable. God's doing all kinds of new things. Student choir, I'm excited about that because I think they need to, to be participants and what true worship is all about. I don't want to lose that. 
We've got some young parent K groups that we're working through and working with. I'm so grateful for those who are in the class that I'm helping with and just precious. One of the things we're doing is tying equipping together with missions, right? There's that evangelistic and, and equipping moment. The processes, the teams, the whole Jerusalem through uttermost strategy. What does that look like from Acts chapter 1, verse 8? And we've done a ton of work. If you were leaders, last week we went through, I had a whole PowerPoint for you on all the different things that we've put together in order to make sure that when somebody wants to be a part of a mission trip, if somebody wants to lead a mission trip, if somebody has an idea about perhaps where God would be leading us as a church body to participate with him, that it's very clear how to, to get involved. I'm thankful for the Missions Council and all the work they've put in because there's been a lot of work in that. One of the things that, uh, you remember Paul Jenks, he was the former president of AMG Ministries. He's now in Thailand. In fact, Jimmy and Franz Stribling are over there uh, with him right now because they went back to Thailand. He came to my little church uh, just south of Chattanooga. Uh, We had our first missions conference at that church. And I had invited Paul to come in and speak, and he did. And he said something to me at that moment that I've never forgotten. I've always hung on to it because it was so encouraging to me, and it was really interesting. With all the experiences that he's had, he's been all over the country. He's, he's preached at all kinds of different churches, talking about AMG and sharing the word of God. He's been all over the world, and this is something that he said to me. And he said, in all my years visiting churches to speak about missions, I have never seen a church participating in international missions that was in decline. That was pretty profound to me. Because there's a heartbeat issue here. There's a desire to take the gospel even to the uttermost. There's a desire to say, Lord, where are you leading? Where do you want to take us? Where is it not only in our own city, but into the world that you want us to go? And here we are, we're willing to serve you. And there's something about that within a body of believers that is absolutely massively impactful in terms of our walk with the Lord. Getting our eyes off of just us. Getting our eyes onto the Lord and recognizing that the harvest is white all around us. And saying, Lord, here we are. Use us. We've partnered with Oak Grove, and that's going well. The school that's using our facilities, looking forward to seeing how God leads there. We've had a partnership with other schools. Regis, my kids have been involved in that. John Kinzer helps lead that. Noah Webster is a small uh, but wonderful Christian college. Chafer is a part of this. And if you haven't taken a Chafer class, it's available to you. You don't have to get your THM or Master of Theology. You don't have to do that. If you want to jump in and get enriched or you want to get deepened in a class, boy, I would, I would challenge you to go to a, a Chafer class. It's phenomenal. Kids Express, our own Kids Express. What we're doing right now is working on a Hoffmantown app. Let me ask you something. How many of you have got smartphones? I probably ought to ask how many of you don't. But if you don't, get one. Because the honest truth is they don't even make the other ones anymore. And if yours breaks down, you're going to be stranded out in who knows where. Right? Get a, get a smartphone. We're going we're gonna to be uh, working on, and we actually are working on, hopefully in November, we'll have a good picture of this for you. Certainly by the new year, uh, our plan is to have this, but a Hoffmantown app. 
So you can open it up on your smartphone. You can immediately go to live streaming. You can immediately uh, do all kinds of stuff. You can find out what small groups are available. Uh, you can find out what the times are. You can connect with people. You can, you know, there's so many things that you can do with it. What I kind of like about it is not only is it a great communication tool for us, but it's also really easy to be able to invite other people because all you got to do is say, did you download the app? And everybody's into that. (laughs) Not everybody. Some of you are weird. I get it. (laughs) I'm one of you. But you can tell somebody, hey, look, look at our app. Get on. Check it out. It gives you all the information. It'll be a lot of fun. We're working on that. It's going to be cool. One of the things we talked about at our congregational meeting a couple weeks ago is is just the needs that we have in terms of uh, renovating. We've got sound equipment that's 30 to 35 years old. The companies are gone. I mean, if uh, some of the things happen that we're a little bit worried about, we're not going to have sound. We're not going to, our lights are too dim. The dimmer packs are old. There's a lot of things that need to be taken care of, a lot of things that just need to be upgraded. We're running out of room, praise God, on the stage. And so those are things that we've got to uh, look at. There's some safety issues with that. We're looking at uh, the Fellowship Mall. I have never in my life seen a church welcoming people in the winter where the greeters have parkas on. Those of you who do that, you understand exactly what we need a vestibule. We need something to keep the air from coming in and keeping it from sub-zero temperatures, you know, in the fellowship mall. We need an area, I think, to greet people and welcome them, share what God's doing. All those things are part of that. We've had uh, different companies come to us, approach us about our land, and we're praying about that. Let me be very clear. No decision has been made on that. It's not our decision anyway. It's God's decision. And so the issue is, Lord, what are you saying? And we really want to make sure we hear from you clearly on that one. But that is there. It's something to be in prayer about, something to really uh, go to the Lord about and say, Father, what, what would you have us to be a part of here? What are you doing? What are you raising up? It's your land. You do with it as you wish. We just want to follow you in it. So all those things are things that are happening. I think those are things to be in prayer about. I want to thank you for your faithfulness in giving. I really do. I appreciate that more than what, you, what I'll ever be able to tell you. Because I know that over the last few years, some of it hasn't been easy. And you've been faithful to continue to support the ministry of the word, really in and through Hoffmantown. And I, I want to encourage you to keep on. Keep on. It's as unto the Lord. It's to the Lord. It's for the kingdom. It's not for me. It's not even really for Hoffmantown. It's for the Lord. And folks, if you're not giving, I want to encourage you that that's something you need to pray about. You need to go to the Lord about that. You need to ask the Lord, what is it that he wants you to be a part of? Because I can guarantee you this. If you're not giving then you're not experiencing what God wants to do in a, in a fresh and special way in your life. There's probably a heart attitude that you need to address th- with the Lord first and foremost. And so get it right, because God loves a cheerful giver. Amen? And we can trust the Lord with 
uh, Wall Street. <laughs> we can trust the Lord with all this nonsense. But we have an opportunity to experience God in a special way. And I want to encourage you and challenge you to prayerfully consider what God's doing in your life when it comes to giving. Well, I was reading something. J.D. Greer, I don't know if you've heard of him or not. He's a pastor of Summit Church in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. And he came out with an article, and I just want to preface some of the things I'm going to say uh, briefly to you about that. He's talking about the nuns. Now, that's not N-U-N-S. He's not talking about the Catholic nuns. He's talking about N-O-N-E-S, those who refuse to go to church under any circumstance. We're not talking about uh, those who come at Christmas or those who come at Easter. We're not talking about those who, if there's going to be a wedding in their family, show up for that. We're talking about people that absolutely, under no circumstance at all whatsoever, will darken the door of a building called the church. In Britain, he's got a friend, and the friend was saying 70% of the Brits are in that category. 70%. 70%. They don't even don't go during Christmas. I re- that really is low. <laughs> We're becoming more and more like that. We're becoming more and more as a nation secularized. And we need to understand that. And he was writing about that. He was saying it this way. He says, nuns don't saunter their way back into church because a particular pastor is super engaging, the music is cool, or the guest services are Disney-esque. I think that's something we really need to think through. Nuns feel like the church is a separate world in which they have no part. They don't want to have a part. We invite them here and they go, what? You're kidding me. What that means, in effect, is that the pie of people in our communities who will wander into our churches is shrinking. The person that looks at our signs, the person that sees this church building, the idea that they're just going to happen to wander in is something, obviously, God's sovereign over it. We've had people actually come in for no other reason than they said, somehow I sensed that I needed to be here. Amen. Praise the Lord. But more and more, the likelihood of that taking place is not as great. I think what J.D. said here is really interesting. He says, if we don't equip our people to carry the gospel outside of our gatherings, we will lose all contact with the unreached people living around us. If we don't equip our people, To carry the gospel outside of our gatherings, we will lose all contact with the unreached people living around us. In other words, we've built a wall around us, and we're it. I don't think that was the idea. He puts it this way. He says, without a new strategy, and again, I talked about strategy a little bit. I think it's recalibrating us back to the strategy God's given us in the word of God. And I'm sure he would agree with that. He says, without that, the future looks like a few flashy megachurches fighting for larger pieces of a shrinking pie. Yipes. He said, our goal 
is no longer to build a great big church. It's to reach our city and to make the, take the gospel to places in the nations where Jesus is not known. If God grows our church in the process, so be it. You catch this? What he's talking about is numeric. Numeric. Because I believe that if that actually happens in Christ, that people are growing. And God is revealing himself in and through individuals. And so there is growth. It's just not necessarily how we have defined growth to be. And I like this last one. He says, churches that understand this will devote themselves not to gathering and counting, but empowering and sending. I like that. Because that's really what making disciples is all about. We're to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. What's the result of it? The body begins to build itself up in love. And when we as a body come together and we're following the Lord, when we're rightly related to the head who is Jesus Christ and we're following our shepherd and we are being transformed ourselves, that God in and through us begins to reflect who he truly is into the world around us and people begin to recognize that we've got something that they're not getting other places that they themselves don't have. We have Christ. We have a relationship. We don't just have a religion. There, there's, there's something about that that's profound. People begin to recognize, oh, how is it that you have joy in the midst of that difficult circumstance? How is it that you're facing the future with certainty and with hope? How is it that your family gets along? We want to know about that. And we, at that moment, have an opportunity to give an account for the hope that is within us. We can say glory to God. Praise Jesus. Engaging in good deeds. Let me put it this way. We must have sound doctrines so that we will engage in good deeds. Now it's really funny to me to watch people's reactions when I start talking about doctrine. <laughs> I remember one time, did you have family dinners at, uh, after church on Sundays? That's how I grew up. Did you? Pretty much, we would go home, and there was a meal prepared, and we would invite somebody, and we'd sit around the table. And I can remember, as a little guy, there were two foods in my life that I detested, detested, to the point of rebellion. And in fact, I told my children when they were old enough, because I hate these foods so much, that I couldn't wait till my kids were old enough that I would allow them to experience the freedom of not having to enjoy, supposedly, these foods. And it's liver and broccoli. Or excuse me, not broccoli, Brussels sprouts. Oh, dear Lord, the, the, the smell of Brussels sprouts by itself. I mean, I, I didn't even want to go home. I could smell it cooking. And people, I, when I've said that, please don't come to me and tell me, oh, it's just how you cook them. I don't care how much butter you put on them. I don't care if you put them in the crock pot for five years. It's horrible. Is there unity on this? <laughs> in the South, they had chicken livers, and people would tell me, oh, they're great. I'm like, what? It's got liver attached to it. Chicken I can handle, but the liver, come on. Very passionately hate those foods. I can remember sitting down one day and we had liver and it was this soupy, gross, gray, gravy 
And I was sitting next to my dad, and he's taking a spoon, and he's running through it, and he reaches down, he grabs out a scoop, and he puts it on my plate, and I can remember staring at it. (laughs) I took my fork, and I thought, oh, Lord. Because we had a rule, if you didn't eat dinner, it was for breakfast. (laughs) So I figured, suck it up, big boy, get it down. I'd rather have Cocoa Krispies, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever, right? And I remember taking my fork and stabbing around, and there was no liver in it. It was just gravy. I've learned a few things since that moment. I looked up at my dad, and I went, ah, there's no liver. And he looked at me like with this shocked expression, and he took his spoon and reached back in, and this time he made sure he got some and put it on my plate. And I thought, you're a dork. You, you just shot yourself. When I start talking about doctrine, sometimes people have the reaction to the word doctrine that I've had to Brussels sprouts and liver. They go, oh, gag us. It's too academic. It doesn't have anything to do with our lives. You go to seminary for the... Look, doctrine is just what you believe that shows up in how you act. That's all it is. Doctrine is what you believe that shows up in how you act. I can tell what people believe by watching them function. Because there's a story behind the story. What we believe is a, is a worldview issue. It's right in the heart. And when I see people doing certain things, I can track it back to certain belief systems. To doctrine. What do you believe about the Lord? What do you believe about what he has said about you? It's all doctrine is. Sound doctrine is the accurate teaching of the word of God. And when we teach the word of God accurately, when we share what does God's word say, it has an impact on people because there's a decision to be made. Am I going to believe God or not? And when you begin to believe God and you're persuaded by him and you begin to walk by faith with God, then guess what? He begins to lead you in certain activities that are of him. We begin to engage in good deeds. Folks, if we're not attached to Christ, we'll never engage in good deeds. If we're not in the word of God and it's not clear what the word of God has to say in terms of how it impacts our lives and our relationship with him, then I don't care what you're doing. The question is, is it even from God? It may look good on the outside, but folks, we got to understand we're going to appear before the Lord one day and our work is going to be tested by fire. And if it was not wrought in God, it will burn If it's not in the word and it's not from the word, if it's not Christ who is working in us to transform us so that through us he is revealed, then I don't care what activity, I don't care how much activity, it is not from God. And we got to get that one straight. I say we, I'm not pointing a finger at us. I'm saying the church of America. Because we seem to think that any activity that looks good at all whatsoever has to be from God. What a lie from Satan. We get caught up in patting ourselves on the back instead of saying, to the glory of God. Real quickly, (laughs) real quickly, let me give you a couple things. 
Titus 3.8 says, this is a trustworthy statement concerning these things. I want you to speak confidently. Why? Because it's the word of God. So that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Those who have believed God is not past tense. What he's saying is those who have believed God and are continuing to believe God. Titus 3.14, he says, Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. So what do we do here? We just create a checklist. We just create a morning list of all the good things that we think we're supposed to do in order to make sure that we're not going to be unfruitful, to make sure that we're meeting pressing needs. Is that what we do? Well, I had my devotions. Check. I had my prayer time. Check. Whatever. I don't think that's exactly it because religious activity does not necessarily equal life transformation. I think one of the, one of the great lies, one of the great deceptions is that you can be very active and that activity actually masks, covers over a very rebellious heart towards the Lord. Oh, that's hard. Boy, do we need the Lord, don't we? Three things. Reminds us of grace. What does sound doctrine do? It reminds us of grace. Secondly, it corrects our thinking. And lastly, it encourages our walk. Reminds us of grace, corrects our thinking, and encourages our walk. Let me give you a run-through of Titus real fast. Titus 1.1 says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith. What's he talking about? He's talking about the belief system which is in Christ Jesus. Of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, meaning the true knowledge of who God really is as revealed through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is according to what? Godliness. You know what godliness means? It means awesome respect or devotion to God. It means an attitude towards God. It means when you understand who God is as he's revealed himself to be, that there is an attitude towards him. So there's an inward that will begin to show itself on the outside. Titus 3.5, he goes through the whole issue of salvation. And I'm just cherry picking stuff here. First of all, he saved us not on the basis of deeds. Catch that? Not on the basis of works, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Salvation's not of us. When we have true doctrine, we begin to have a true understanding of who we are in Christ. We're reminded of grace. We're reminded that we didn't deserve this. We didn't do anything in order to achieve this. We can't do anything to pay God back for it. We receive it and we thank him for it. Verses 6 and 7 in Titus 3 says, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace made right with God, not on the basis of our works, but made right with God on the basis of his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Reminds me of Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace is that which the Lord has done for us. 
which means that there's no room for pride. There's no room for self-effort. We talk about engaging in good deeds. This is not about self-effort. This is not about our plan for God. It's about getting in touch with God about his plan for us. That's essential. Not only does he remind us of grace, but he corrects our thinking. He corrects our thinking. As believers, he corrects our thinking. Titus 1.7 and 9, he talks about overseers, which are elders. What's interesting about this passage is he brings out something very specific that elders or pastors in this sense are to be about. Verse 9, he says, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he, the elder, will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, and to refute those who contradict. To exhort and refute. To encourage, admonish, help those who are perhaps believers and are offline to get back online, and those who are refuting the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace, to refute what they have to say. Biblically, not just emotionally, not just logically, but biblically. Corrects our thinking. Titus 3, 9 through 11, Paul makes it very clear for those who are arguing about the law or those who are getting caught up, and they had all kinds of Judaizers coming in. They had people from without and within creating all kinds of factions and divisions. And he makes it very clear. He says, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strifes and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable. They're worthless. And he says this, reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Wow. Wow. The word of God corrects our thinking. It, it not only reminds us of grace, but it makes sure that we are thinking correctly about what God has said. And as a result, if we're thinking correctly, if we're believing correctly, if we understand who he is and what he said, then we will begin to walk in his power and in his strength rather than our own. Lastly, he encourages our walk. Look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and following. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. In other words, the opportunity to be saved to all men, instructing us. Catch that? What's instructing us? The grace of God is instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless Deed to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds, overflowing with the desire to follow God in the work that he has for us. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Wow, what an amazing truth. What's the instruction here? The grace of God instructs us. What does the grace of God instruct us not to do? To live like we used to live. How's that possible? Because Christ has come to live within us. And we get to walk now in the beauty of the relationship we have in Christ with God. And as a result, we get instructed by the grace of God as to how he wants us to walk. And he empowers us to do it. Beautiful. 
Sound doctrine provides for the transformation of our lives in Christ. Not because we work hard, not because we're sincere, but rather by grace. By grace. So that through us, we would be engaged in good deeds. That God would be manifested, made known through us. Titus 3.8 again, so that those who have believed God, those who have believed and are believing, that's the literal translation of that, will be careful to engage in good deeds. And verse 14, that we would learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that we would not be unfruitful. The technical idea of being engaged is the middle voice. I know that made you all, oh, it's so academic. Listen, let me put this simply. There's a command here. It's not optional for believers. And the question is, are we yielded to the Lord? Because the Lord is always inviting us to join him in what he alone is able to do. And the question is, are we willing? Are we willing to respond to the Lord? Are we willing to say, yes, Lord? When he calls us to be engaged in good deeds, when he calls us to serve him, when he calls us to do something for him, what's our response? Are we willing? We may not know how it's going to work out. We may not understand it. We may not understand the fruit that's going to be produced by God through it. But we know God. And we're willing to follow him. And so we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And God begins to do a work in us. And then God begins to reveal that work through us. Are we willing, as a church body, as individuals, to say yes to the Lord and engage in the works that he has, the good deeds that he has for us, that he's actually planned before the foundation of the earth? Are we willing to get into the word of God so that the Lord would not only correct our thinking, but the Lord would also encourage our walk that through us in the midst of a lost and dying world that we would be the light because he's the light. That through us, the goodness of God would be revealed in such a way that people would come to us And they would say, what's this hope that you've got? And we'd be grateful to be able to share with them, to give an account to them about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done in our lives. Are we willing as a church body in that? Are we willing to say, yes, Lord? Are we willing to forsake all and follow him? Because that's the call for every believer. The question is, are we willing to do that? to trust him, walk with him, experience him, to have our thinking corrected, to have our walk encouraged. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? What's the Lord doing in your life this morning? What's God doing? What a wonderful time to come and celebrate the Lord, to praise him, to thank him. What's God doing in your life? Are you willing to come to the Lord this morning from your heart? 
and say, Lord, I surrender all. I yield my life afresh to you. Whatever you choose to do, whenever you choose to do it, for whatever reasons you choose to do it, you never have to give me an explanation for it. I just want to walk with you, follow you in every area of my life. I want to experience you. Are you willing to say that this morning? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.